Good afternoon. I'd like to encourage you to take out your Bibles and follow along as we open up God's Word this afternoon and spend some time studying from this message of truth and a message of hope for us. Uh, I want to thank Ronnie for the song that he led before the um, before we, we, we begin this period of, of, uh, of our worship as we turn to God's Word. Let the lower lights be burning. I think there's a very, very good message that is brought forth to us from that song as we sang it. And I hope we, we gave careful thought to the words that we were singing, the, the statements that we were making as we sang that song together. I want to begin this afternoon's study by reading a, a story that, I, that I'd found. The story is called The Parable of the Life-Saving Station. I found this uh, interesting. It piqued my, my interest. I hope it uh, resonates with you as well. The story goes that there was a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, and there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for themselves, they went out day or night tires, tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station, so that it, it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and efforts for the support of its work. New boats were bought, new crews were trained, the little life-saving station began to grow. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided for the refugees of those saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds. They put better furniture in an enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. They redecorated it beautifully and they furnished it as sort of a club. Less of the members became interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboats to do this work. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. And about this time, there was a large ship wrecked off the coast. The hired crews brought in boatloads of cold and wet and half-drowned people. They were dirty and they were sick. Some had skin of a different color. Some spoke a strange language. And the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. And at the next meeting, there was a split in club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal pattern of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But finally, they were voted down and told that if they wanted to save the life of all various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast, which is exactly what they did. And as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. And if you visit the seacoast today, you will find a, numer uh, a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks still frequent the area, but many of those people drown. This is a story written by Brent Hunter in his book, Personal Evangelism 101. Now, as the song we sang before this lesson 
And this parable itself points out the mission of the church is very similar to that of the life-saving station. But unfortunately, with the passing of time, many churches begin to lose sight of their original mission. And then gradually, they evolve into something different than what Christ intended when He said in Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church. So that we don't forget, and so that we don't fall into the dangers that oftentimes face a growing congregation, which is exactly what we are. Let's spend some time reviewing the church and its mission. Number one, the first thing that I think we should be able to see through God's Word in the church and its mission is that its mission is to bring the light of the gospel of God. This was what Paul's mission was as an apostle. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3 in verses 8 and verse 9, we read, To me, Paul speaking, to me, who am, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. This he did as a functional member of the church. It was the primary purpose to make known the wisdom of God, as he would say in, in verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. This was the purpose of the church, and this was the purpose of Paul as an apostle of Christ and as a member of Christ's church, to bring that gospel to the world, to bring it to a people who were so far separated from God, lost in their sin, lost in the, in the sna uh, enslaved in the snares of Satan. And the purpose was planned by God. It was not the construct of man. It was not uh, the, the, the wisdom of some righteous person. It was God's eternal purpose, as verse 11 says. A purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, the mission of the church is no different than the mission of Christ. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we see what that mission was. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. If we are to be members of the church that Christ built, and if we are to be Christian, which is to say we are to be Christ-like. This must be our mission in life as well, to save sinners, to look for those lost, to look for those who are, who are dying in this world and bring them to the glorious light of God. Paul came preaching the gospel to the lost and, and the dying, and Jesus did the, uh, and he was just uh, ma uh, excuse me, mocking and imitating that which Jesus himself did as well. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus claims that that was his purpose. That was his, his reason for being here. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. When he says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And I think that's why Jesus ends in the Gospel of Mark, with the call for all those who would follow him 
for all those who would be called of his name, for all those who would claim to be in his kingdom serving him, that they preach the gospel to every creature. They preach the gospel to all of the world. And that is that they give it to anyone and everyone that they have the opportunity and the ability to do so. But that's not the only thing that we see the church and its mission doing. We are to be uh, certainly bringing the light of the gospel of, uh, the, to light the gospel of God, but we're also supposed to be proclaiming the praises of God. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says that we have been made into a, a special people, into a holy nation. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, a special people with a special purpose. Some translations may be called a peculiar people, a people that stand out. That word holy, uh, as we have looked at uh, very often lately, is the idea of something that is separated, something that is sanctified, something that is set apart from something else. As Peter would tell the uh, the, the readers of his letters, that we are to be holy as God is holy. We are to be set apart the way God was set apart. But we are to be set apart for a purpose. And what is that purpose? The later, latter part of verse 9 says that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are to proclaim the praises of God. Uh, back on, on Wednesday night, Adam, Adam, Alan, Alan Adams. Alan preached a lesson out of, <clears throat> out of Ephesians, and he talked about how we are to be a people who are rejoicing and how we are to be a people who are gentle. And that's very similar to what Peter is saying here as he tells us that we are to be a people who praise God. How do we do so? We praise God by telling people through our, through our mannerisms and through our behavior and through our actions and through our words and through the deeds that we do that we are a special people, that we are different from the rest of the world. Not for our betterment, not for, so that we can be the focus of their attention, but so that God can receive the glory, so that God can be seen through us and so that we can be showing to the world that we were once in darkness, but we have been called into something far better, something marvelous, a light that is given to the world. In fact, as we would go on to read in verse 10, that we have been taken from a position of, of non-existence. We were once not a people, but we are now a people of God. We didn't have a hope. We didn't have a kingdom to belong to. We didn't have a life to really want to live. So many of the world today don't necessarily see this statement. They see these, these fleeting years that we have between birth and death as, as the life that we have been given. But in all honesty, the life that we have been given is so far more abundant and so far more joy, joyous than these short 80, 70, 60 years that we might be blessed with on this earth. Because we have been made a people of God. We have been made a people who have an eternal life. A people who have a joyful life spent in all eternity with God. And we have been made that way because of the mercy of Him. A people who had not obtained that mercy, as he continues in verse 10, but now have obtained mercy. 
How do we proclaim this? How do we take the message that, that Peter talks about here, the message that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, the message that we were not at one time a people, we were, we were lost and we were, we were in sin and we were not a, a saved race, but now we have been saved, we have been transported into the kingdom of God, into his marvelous light and into his mercy. How do we proclaim this? We do it by proclaiming the gospel of God. By telling people the very thing that, that made us into a people. The very thing that made us free from our sins. That's our mission as the church. As the people of God. And yes, I know that that, that can be broken down into, into much more deeper communication and deeper thought. Certainly that, that encompasses a grand sort of, uh, of work involved with evangelism and involved with edification and involved with the benevolence. But on the surface... Getting back to the fundamentals, the church and its mission is to proclaim the gospel of God and to proclaim the praises of Him who has saved us. But we do also need to consider that if we know our mission, then we know that we can also fail our mission. It is possible for us to do that when we start to misplace our emphasis by misplacing the emphasis on material things rather than on spiritual aspects of the church. Um, a congregation that we have just not failed to draw countless observations from is found in Revelation chapter 3. We can see this in the church at Laodicea. In verses 14 through 19, uh, we read, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I can wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It seems as if the church at Laodicea had misplaced their emphasis. They looked around them at what they saw and they said, we don't have need of anything. We have everything that we could possibly need. We are rich. We are wealthy. But Jesus looked at them and said, no, you are not. You are not rich, you are poor. You are, you are not, uh, or you are in need of something. Because you are wretched, and you are miserable. You are blind, and you are naked. And that's a problem that is oftentimes experienced by churches today. And it's evidenced by the time and the energy that maybe is put into the physical, physical aspects of the church. Maybe it's the building, places that will put lots of energy and lots of money and lots of focus into making sure the building looks immaculate, making sure the building has every, uh, every corner painted and clean and all the cracks are spackled. And, and this, when, when people come in, they say, wow, this is a place that I want to be because they, they see the building. And I want to say that the physical needs are, are not to be ignored. That's not the purpose of this lesson up here uh, this afternoon is to, to suggest that we, we should put no emphasis on, on the, the physical place that we have, we have chosen to assemble and gather together. We certainly should be good stewards of that, which, which we have uh, been blessed with. But let's compare that. Let's compare the emphasis that we put onto the physical with the emphasis that we put on to the true mission of the church. If you remember, our true mission 
is not to have a building that rivals everybody else's building. And our true mission is not to have a parking lot that is better than any other parking lot. Our true mission is not to have pews that are, that are filled with people that are just in awe of what we have accomplished here physically. Our true mission is to take the gospel of God to the world, to the people that we have influence over, to the people that are in need of that message, and to praise Him and sing His, uh, His praises to them. Now how do our emphasis compare? If we get more worked up over a physical problem, lack of air conditioning, one we've been dealing with here personally, uh, an electrical bill, That's, and it's been a problem. It's been a big problem. There ain't, there's no ignoring that. But if we get more worked up over that, than we do in the fact that there are lost souls, in the fact that there are brothers and sisters who are weak, in the fact that there is a whole community around us that are dying, that are in desperate need, and that are looking for the gospel, then we may have misplaced our emphasis. The business meetings of the church oftentimes, and, and this is in a lump sum sort of way, but they oftentimes spend more time on physical matters than they do spiritual matters. And when that happens, we need to pause and we need to step back, and especially uh, if, if we're the, as the men of, those, of leading those business meetings, but we need to step back and ask ourselves, where should our emphasis be at this time? What is the true business of the church? Are we like the church at Laodicea? Certainly none of us want to be described that way. Lukewarm. Vomited out of the mouth. If we find ourselves like that, we need to see that Jesus' answer to them was in verse 18, Buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. If that does describe us, individually, that does describe us congregationally. It's time for us to listen to that message that Jesus gave and say, we need to make a change. We're not stuck in this rut, if we are in a rut. We're not stuck in a, in a position where we have to just continue going in that path. We have the constant, as we talked about this morning, the constant opportunity, as David did, to go to God in prayer, to confess our sins and to say, your will be done. Your plans for Zion and your plans for the church here in Lake Street are what we are really after. And that is our desire is to see those plans prosper. And we want to work in that way. That's what the church at Laodicea, Laodicea needed to see. And they need to become more <clears throat> like the church in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Be better off to be materially poor. Be better off if the building... If the building collapsed down and if, the, if, if everything that we, we, we had that, that was tied to this, if it was all gone and we were to just go and to, to meet in somebody's house or 
meet in a, a, a local library or anywhere that they would give us the space to meet and be spiritually rich, to be burning with zeal, as we talked about a, a week ago, to be fired up for this emphasis or for this mission that the church has been given. That's the answer to the problem in Revelation 3, verse 14. It's to put off the material and put on the spiritual. Is that a problem here? We need to ask ourselves that. We need to, we need to dwell on that. Uh, and, and if we find that problem to be a problem within us, we need to repent. But we also need to consider another thing that brings a problem to this mission and helps, us, uh, helps deviate our eyes away from it. And that is when we start showing preference. Preference in our efforts to saving souls. 1 Timothy chapter 2 talks more about this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. It says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. God wants all to be saved. I wonder if we sometimes get the mindset that God wants all who are like me to be saved. Or God wants all that I am comfortable talking to to be saved. But over and over again, we see in the scriptures, God is no respecter of persons, nor should we. Turn over to Acts chapter 10 for a moment. A great example of this is seen in Acts chapter 10, looking at the beginning in verse 28. <clears throat> verse 28 says, Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, For what reason have you sent for me? And in verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. And I think everyone here, I, I, I don't want to be in, in danger of preaching to the chorus, because that really isn't my, my intent, is to, to preach things to you that you already know. Uh, kind of lob out those soft pitches. I think every one of us here is has a heart that says it doesn't really matter if someone's skin is, is, is black or white or yellow or any other color. I see people as they are, and I'm willing to go and to talk with them and strive to help them to, to know God and to know the, the, the saving power of His gospel. But sometimes, all of that kind of falls off. All that knowledge that we have, it drifts away not because of maybe the, skull, the, the color of their skin, but because of a financial status. Because someone whose life has been corrupted by drugs and alcohol, maybe even prostitution, things that we see in the world, and that is truly dirty. Do we want to get our hands in that? Do we want to be brought down into that to try and shed the light of God into that. I think it can be dangerous for us to start setting preferences not based on racial discrimination, but oftentimes based on social discrimination, economical discrimination. And all of these are condemned in the Scriptures. 
James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, spends a great deal of time talking about those who would give the better seat to the one who comes in with the fine clothing and the gold. And, and you come and you sit up here while the poor, you, you sit down here in the floor. And we think to ourselves, I would never sell someone to sit in the floor. But sometimes we don't even show them the opportunity to come in the door, to take that message to even draw them in. Are we selective in sharing the gospel? Do we try to preach the gospel to every creature or just the ones that we're comfortable with? You see, we need to be asking ourselves, what kind of life-saving station are we? Are we one that is faithfully fulfilling its mission? Are we one that is merely looking at its heritage, looking at its former reputation? I don't believe that to be the case here at Lake Street. I don't believe us to be a church, to be a, a station that is, that is simply turned its emphasis away from its true mission. Because in the past three years, in the time that I've been blessed to be here with this congregation and to be here working together with you, I have seen a lot of growth spiritually. And I have started to see growth numerically. And I see people, as I was talking about with, with Sister Paula this morning, who are creating a strong backbone for this congregation. People who are desiring to do what is right. But let's think back to that parable that we read in the beginning, just for a moment. It wasn't until the congregation started to grow. It wasn't until that life-saving station began to grow that the emphasis started to shift. We can certainly have the right sort of mindset and the right sort of focus and then have that focus pulled away and driven somewhere else. And so this afternoon, I, I, I want us to be, to be reminded that we have been given a noble mission, a mission that is higher than anyone on this earth and one that warrants a frequent reminder of how important it is and how easily distracted we can become. Hebrews 10 verse 24 is the reason that we gather together on, the, on, on every occasion that we have. It's to be stirred up. That's what I hope to do with this message right now. It's to stir us up. Stir us up to remember what it is our mission, our calling, what the church has is, 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 is been ordained to do and that is to do the work of the Lord. But many do not feel compelled to complain, uh, excuse me, to proclaim that mercy of God. Perhaps it's for the same reason that many do not grow. Perhaps they have forgotten that they were purged from their sins, and 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9 tells us. I pray that that will always be on our minds, that it will be close to our hearts, because what greater motivation do we have than to know where we have been pulled from? where we have been placed as a people who are not a people and now are a holy nation. God's grace and mercy has been shown towards us. And I pray that it will compel us to be active in sharing that same grace and mercy to others of all walks of life and of all beliefs. This we can do by proclaiming the gospel of Christ to them. This, morning, or excuse me, this afternoon, if you have not yet taken advantage of that glorious opportunity that God has made, calling us into His marvelous light, 
through His grace to be purged from your sins. I hope that you would consider what God wants you to be. He wants you to be His people. He wants you to be a royal nation. To call you out of the darkness of sin and into the marvelous light full of mercy. I pray that if there's any way that we can help you with that this afternoon, if you'd please let it be known right now. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.